0: All right. Welcome to the breast cancer podcast. I'm so excited to have a really good friend on here. She is a repeat guest, Alison Tierney with wholesome. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome.
1: thank
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk with you
0: again. So last night in preparing, I was listening to the podcast you were on before, and it's called empower yourself with food. And it is our most listened to podcast ever ever since you've come on, it has been number one. So I know people really enjoyed hearing from you and hearing the information because empowerment is so important through a breast cancer diet or through any diagnosis really, and the importance of food. But when I was listening to the podcast, I looked at the date. It was March, 2022. Wow. Is when we aired it. And lots of things have changed since then. So we're not just bringing you back on as an expert, but also to share your story of what happened soon after we aired that podcast. How do you feel about talking about that today?
2: I am totally open to talking about it. And I think it's also one of those things is that when you think back to that date, and I think a lot of survivors can think about that, you think of what's what you were doing at that time and whether or not, you know, spoiler alert, you had cancer, right? Speaking at that time, March of 22, um, it was just two months later that I was diagnosed with breast cancer
0: myself. Yeah. That was a big shock, um, to anybody, but as your friend, hearing that my friend who is doing so much with her life, with being plant-based with prevention, um, then gets their own, oh, sorry. It's so hard because I love you so much. Um, gets their own cancer diagnosis. It's heartbreaking. And so maybe take us through what happened. Um, how did that start? Where did, where did this all begin for you with your cancer diagnosis?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I really do think that it goes back a lot of ways to when I wanted to become an oncology dietitian. And the reason I say that is because my mom is a 16 year breast cancer survivor. She was 49 when she was diagnosed. And I have a really long history of cancer in my family. That's what prompted me to be an oncology dietitian. And through the years, I had worked with so many young breast cancer survivors, some in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And the reason why I say that my journey kind of started there is because I really believe that the people that came before me in this journey were the people that helped me identify my own diagnosis, ask the questions that I should be asking when something felt uncertain. And so in April of 22, I had just finished up breastfeeding my youngest daughter and I had happened to have my annual exam with my OBGYN just 10 days later. And we were chatting, did a breast exam and we were kind of just chatting and she found a lump and we talked about it a little bit but we didn't do much about it because I was 10 days post breastfeeding, right? How much the breast can change with breastfeeding and pregnancy and postpartum. And so I made sure that I felt the lump in the office so that I could know what I was going home to look for after that appointment. And because I had had a lump between my pregnancies before that we had ultrasound and looked at. And my doctor happened to be the same OBGYN for my mom. So she knew my history really well. And so I went home, told my husband about the lump, and he kind of just shaked it off a little bit. He kind of like, well, we had one before, so this no big deal. And every time I felt the lump, the only thing that I can describe is that I felt very anxious. It was a very uncomfortable, anxiety-inducing feeling. And I let that happen for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And I was actually doing some research for my own presentation on breast cancer nutrition that I was heading to in a couple of weeks. And I saw some stats about breast cancer after pregnancy and breastfeeding and how it talked about how it's rare, but I also knew a lot of people, a lot of young breast cancer survivors had that same situation. So that was kind of a little red flag to me. Like, you know, I think I need some peace of mind before I go to this conference and message my doctor right away. She said, yep, let's get it checked out and scheduled an ultrasound. And when that day came, it really went ultrasound, mammogram, biopsy within hours of each other and um, was officially diagnosed two days later. But the radiologist had told me, I'm pretty confident at what I'm seeing here. And so that was the first time I ever had a mammogram. And when she came into the room, the radiologist after the mammogram, all she said was, so, and I just started crying. And I think she was a little uncertain why I was crying so quickly. And I just said, I've seen this go in so many directions from here, being in the position that I've worked in before. And so it happened really quickly, as many people can probably relate to so quickly that you can't really think about it. And in a way, I think that's a good thing. In a way, I think it's a bad or hard thing too. And so that was a Thursday that I was diagnosed, boarded a plane on Friday, traveled to Detroit, Michigan for a presentation as a breast cancer nutrition expert. And uh, Monica, that's actually when you came up to see me. And I was so fortunate for that because I was leaving my family at home after this big diagnosis, having so many questions and I think it was because number one, we're good friends, but also because you're, you had been in that situation before. And I was so grateful for that because the one thing I did wish is that my family could have come with me or my husband or something. But I do think that conference was a really good thing for me. It was really eye-opening from a couple different angles in terms of like lifestyle medicine and some things that had been going on in my history that kind of put some things into perspective. But then I came home that Sunday night, met with my surgeon on Monday, and my mom will also tell you, this is my husband and my mom in the appointment room with the surgeon, and we were kind of expecting a lumpectomy and maybe some radiation and moving on, right? And we were kind of just punched in the face is what we've kind of said, that immediately a mastectomy was recommended because of where the tumor was located next to the nipple. And there was also... Um, some question because my original diagnosis was DCIS with microinvasion. And the surgeon kept telling me, You're not presenting as a DCIS. I'm concerned that it is invasive. And so I went through another um, mammogram with biopsy, still confirmed the DCIS with microinvasion, and then opted to have a double mastectomy with D flap reconstruction. And in that time, my genetic testing had gone out and I was waiting for the results of the genetic testing, and it came back positive, which I was actually shocked that I had a genetic mutation because I knew that it was a very small percentage of breast cancers that actually happened with a genetic mutation. It made a lot more sense with my family history and my mom's diagnosis, but we had never had my mom tested or any of us kids tested because they had assumed that her breast cancer may have been related to some hormone therapy, et cetera, that she had in her past. So moving forward, I had uh, the double mastectomy with D-flap reconstruction in July of 22. And after that surgery, we were waiting for the pathology results. And they actually came back that it was not DCIS, it was invasive breast cancer. And we were kind of taken aback because we had had this second biopsy and they had told us how rare it was for it to come back to be a different diagnosis. And so after that, we were just kind of waiting some more testing, It was heavily estrogen and progesterone receptor positive, but we were still waiting to find out more about the HER2, had to go through more testing. Bottom line came back that it was HER2 positive. So it was diagnosed with triple positive invasive ductal carcinoma.
0: Let's pause for, let's pause for a second. That was a lot of information. Like, like what I just heard was a blow, 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 you know, like it was just another thing that you weren't expecting. First, of course, the cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then the double mastectomy and then the genetics mm-hmm. and the HER2, you know, because that we had talked, you know, like we didn't want it to be triple negative, And then we didn't mm-hmm. want it to be, you know, like we went through all these different scenarios of what was the most ideal. yeah. And then it came back. So I know this was a lot, you're, you're, you're talking very openly and freely and confidently, but this is a lot of emotion that you're carrying through all of these things happening.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I you know, when you mentioned that and I think back to it a lot, I think that my profession was helpful but harmful in the same way. From the yeah. standpoint of I knew before any of my family members that if I was triple positive, it would mean an entire year of cancer infusions. I I knew that before anyone could tell me that, right? And when we were in the doctor's office with the surgeon, I said and this was a coworker of mine, a previous coworker of mine was the surgeon and I said talk to me as if I don't know anything because my family doesn't and I want to hear it this way too. So I think my profession forced me emotionally just to keep taking step by step by step. And this is the next thing that you need to do.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. And I, I remember talking to you because you knew so much, you just, you have so much knowledge and knowing what's good, knowing what's not so good, as far as the diagnosis and moving forward that way. um, How did you take care of yourself emotionally Mm -hmm. through all of this?
2: I think in the beginning, I didn't probably do a great job of it. And I think I took the, I'm gonna, put on these strong boots and walk forward. And that's what I can do right now for myself and my family, because I did somewhat know what to expect. I always told patients beforehand that I don't know what it's like to sit in your shoes. I've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people through that alongside them, but I had never sat in those shoes before. And now I'm sitting, standing in those shoes, sitting in that chair, trying to navigate wow, I really am going to have this experience that my patients have had so closely. And I think I was probably more concerned with managing my husband's emotions and my kids' emotions and the people around me rather than my own. And looking back, I really don't think the emotional part of it hit me until maybe halfway through chemo when Mm. I really had felt that emotional, what is happening right now type of feeling and addressing that. And I, the first thing that I did was work with a counselor. Um, we, I feel very fortunate to have access to a cancer counselor through my cancer center. And that was one of the best things that I've done for my emotional health through this entire process.
0: That's great that you took that step to do that. Mm -hmm. So you had your deep flap and I think you're getting ready to talk about chemo after your deep. Is that, tell me, tell us what kind of chemotherapy you did.
2: So after my deep flap, I was going to start taxol and Herceptin. And so I started Taxol and Herceptin at the end of August, and I had 12 weeks of weekly chemo with the Taxol and Herceptin. After the 12 weeks, then I switched over to three weeks, every three weeks of Herceptin. And I can actually tell you today is when we're recording this, I actually had my last treatment on Thursday, just a few days ago. Oh. So I had that full year of treatment, and I've gotten to have a little bit of that celebration and yeah. celebrate that one year of treatment. So I did chemo, um, I did multiple things to kind of empower myself and help myself through chemo. And that's another area where I feel very blessed to have worked in this area, to know what I could do to empower myself and make myself stronger throughout the entire process. And um, for those of that can see us, I have long, long hair right now. I cold capped during chemotherapy and I did have very good success it was a lot of work, but it was a great success for me. And you can kind of see where it's growing back when my hair is up. And I like when my daughter says, mom, this is your chemo hair here. And it's nice Aww. and short and curly. Aww. So I had really great success with that. And um, I mean, I definitely have had trials this entire way, but I've had really good success as well. And I do think part of that has a lot to do with my diet and lifestyle and then also really focusing on the emotional and mental health of this journey for myself too, because I'm a big advocate in like whole person health, right? It's yeah. not just about diet. It's not just about exercise. It's about all the other pieces of it too.
0: So how do you feel like with your diet? You know, we talked about being plant-based plant power on the last podcast. How do you feel that helped you through this?
2: Yeah. I have a strong belief that being plant-based has really helped me. I don't want to speak for every survivor, but I like to think that most of us are going to ask that question of why, right? Why me? Why did it what did I do that may have caused this? I I think that's a common question that runs through all of our minds. And I hope we can confidently answer that it wasn't something that we did ourselves. I think one of the best thing, pieces of advice that I've received through this whole journey was actually from a stage four thriver who said, you didn't cause your cancer, but you can control how you respond to it. And to me, that was really empowering and encouraging because when I was diagnosed, I thought to myself, okay, I have a really good diet, really been physically active. I have a healthy weight. You know, when you walk into that oncologist's office and they say, do you drink? No. Do you smoke? No. Are you healthy weight? Yes. Do you exercise? You know, I yeah. can check off all the boxes the way that it's recommended and yet you still develop cancer. And that's frustrating and upsetting and scary all at the same time. And I've always been this really big believer in prevention, but I thought about, I want to change that word and kind of take it out of this and talk about reducing risk, right? Because it was actually an integrative oncologist who told me like, there's no such real thing as prevention because we are all prone to cancer. We can Mm -hmm. all develop cancer and it does not discriminate by in any way. And so I really like kind of focusing on reducing the risk of recurrence because I think prevention can be an empowering, but I think reducing the risk of recurrence is even more empowering because it takes away some of that guilt or that fault that feels like we put it on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, it was, okay, all these things that I did quote unquote, right, and i say it like that because i didn't do everything perfect right i was just barely out of my postpartum year with having a second child there's no way i was doing everything perfect but what i realized that the things that i've done quote unquote right were the things that were going to help me through this that's when i really started taking that those strides forward and helping myself get through that journey when i could leave some of the i guess the best way to say it some of that negativity behind and just move forward and it doesn't mean that i wasn't angry about it or upset about it on certain days. But when I was able to focus on the, okay, you have this, this happened, what are you going to do about it? And that really empowered me to move forward.
0: People may look at you and say, oh, look, Allison had it easy. She didn't, you know, lose her hair. She's exercising still. Cause I know you post about going to cycle bar activity was a really big part. How do you manage your emotions? And people are, Purely going on perception, their own perception of how well you did, because cancer is still cancer at the end of the day. How do you manage that? Because it, it can be deceiving.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a really hard question because, you know, I think there's a lot of times people think they're trying to say meaningful, helpful things and they just don't. Right. So one of the questions, one of the answers was, you know, she kept her hair. It must not have been that bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, chemo is chemo. Right. And I do think there are definitely harder regimens that I went through and so forth. But especially when it comes, that comment comes from someone who's never been through it before, you're just like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, And I think the other part of it is too, is that when I have shared my story personally on social media for the most part, what I'm sharing there, I'm not sharing it to meant to be that this is all fine and dandy, and this is perfect. I've tried to share some of my hard moments too, to make it people understand that it's not easy as it looks. It's not as easy as me showing up on camera smiling, right, all the time. But also at the same time, I think what people don't understand is even with, even though that's my intention to share realistically what is happening, It is also my right to not share everything that's happening. And, you know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing with everybody, all of the things that are going on. Right. So I think it's very easy to look at an Instagram grid or a story here or there to make it seem like it's all fine and dandy and Allison hasn't had any issues through all of this. Right. And I think that's, what's really hard about today's day and age is that even though it's not my intention to show the highlights sometimes that's what happens because I don't have an obligation to share every little bit and piece of my journey. My goal of sharing my journey is to inspire other people to help them understand that they can be empowered too. But what my life looks like with cancer isn't necessarily what their life is going to look like with cancer either.
0: That's great. And I think a lot of us in the community deal with that where people are like, Oh, you look so good. And And I got a lot of that after my deep flap, um, back in January and it it was like, well, I'm not good, but people don't know how to deal with not good. They they just want to highlight sometimes what they see and that's, oh, you look amazing. You look great, but deep down we're not okay sometimes. And that's okay. But it it can be disheartening to hear that, especially if they don't have the experience to know like what not to say (laughs) to a cancer survivor. Exactly.
2: And I honestly, I probably don't say the right thing. And, you know, to people right. either, I totally we want, yeah. we want to say the right thing, but we don't always say the right thing. And I want, I want to learn from those experiences. And I want to learn what people have said to me that probably wasn't best to so make sure I learn from that experience for other people going forward too. And from looking good on the outside type of experience. you know, I think that's one of the things that I found actually very difficult with cold capping. Um, I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful that I had access to it because I know a lot of people don't have access to it. I'm grateful that it was an option for me because it's not an option for a lot of people. And I'm grateful that I had success because there are a lot of people that put in that hard work and don't have the success that I did. But I've been nervous to talk about, the hardships of cold capping because of those, of being grateful for those things. But at the same time, I thought to myself, I wish I could have heard some of the hardships of cold capping before I decided to do it, because I would have taken those things into consideration. And I think the other thing that I've learned in this journey is expectations. When we have some sort of expectation and it's not what we expect, it can be really derailing emotionally. Mm -hmm.
1: So how do you manage skeptics after having your own cancer diagnosis?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't know that I've had a lot of skeptics to my face. Um, I think there might be more skeptics outside of it, but I think managing skeptics, the biggest realization I've made in my journey, and this is where like the mental, emotional health comes in is my feelings, my emotions, and those feelings and emotions and the health of my family are what matter most and not what yeah. other people think. Yeah. Not what other people see. And I think that has been one of the biggest positive lessons for me is yeah. letting go of more of that and not caring what other people think. If that
1: yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's really hard, I think, to not to care about others. I struggle with that myself, you know, but uh To not to put so much energy in what people are saying and thinking because Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, in your shoes. So, and your family comes first and they're the ones who gets affected the most with anything that happens to you personally.
2: Yeah. And And uh, I think I definitely have had like some imposter syndrome with it all, right? Like here I am teaching people how to reduce their risk of of recurrence or cancer in general. And I still got cancer that has been really hard for me. And I know that it's been hard for other survivors too, because they've reached out to me and told me, you know, from the example of, I can't believe Allison got cancer. She's the healthiest person I know. If Allison got cancer, what's the point of all of this for the rest of us? Yeah. You know, those are the words that other people have shared. And those emotions and feelings are 100% valid. But I also have flipped the script for myself and thought to myself, if I wasn't living this lifestyle, what could it have been? I don't know. Nobody would know that answer but I'm going to choose the belief that it would have been a lot worse that this last year going through treatment could have been a lot harder. And, um, that's what empowers me to continue going forward. And it's kind of one of those things is like the placebo effect. Well, if it works, keep going. Right. And, um, you know, I've had pretty good energy through this. I walked to my two week follow-up after my D flap appointment and my surgeon was like, you what, And it's, it's honestly, it's only 0.6 miles away. And I had a backup. I had my dad on speed dialed if I couldn't make it back, but it was one of those things that I was empowered by movement. I was empowered by, I'm not going to let this stop Mm. me. And so, um, yeah, I think that skeptics goes back to a lot of trusting yourself and trusting your own emotions and focusing on what's good for you and not anybody else. And I can't say I'm perfect at that all the time, but that has been a big focus. What's, what's important for me and my family.
0: I agree. And I think about how much your body was in good shape physically to handle all of this. Like you have like being plant-based exercising. I think it could have, and you, like you said, we don't know what it could have been otherwise, but I think you, you were almost just set up in such a great place to handle this the way you did. Was it easy? No, but your body was like, all right, let's do this. Like, I, uh, you know, like it was in the best state it could possibly be to go through the surgery, to go through chemo, to continue your life as much as you could. And I think Mm -hmm. that in itself speaks volumes to your lifestyle and how it helped you through it's still hard, but it helped you through this. I think,
2: yeah. And I think to me, it gives me again, you know, I'm going to keep sticking with the word empowerment because it gives me a lot more empowerment as I continue to live my life for the other Um, risk factors that I have with the genetic mutation. So I have a check two mutation. So it increases the risk of breast, colon, kidney, and thyroid cancer. My mom is a breast and a thyroid survivor. Knowing that I'm at higher risk of those as well, like really helps Mm -hmm. me. Okay. I'm in control of these factors and I'm going to do the best that I can to control them knowing I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to always put my best foot
0: forward. You had mentioned of talking to your patients before your diagnosis about, I I don't know what it's like to walk in your shoes Mm -hmm. and now you do. So I want to know, or we want to know how does your diagnosis now impact your business and working with cancer survivors? The
2: first thing I think about with my diagnosis and my business is my clients that were the most understanding people. When I was diagnosed, I didn't tell them right away. But once I did, it was this automatic giant hug. That's like all I can explain. And the most understanding people that I needed to take a step back and that I needed to pause what we were doing and so forth. And so that has been incredible. And the community that has surrounded me through that is just mind blowing. And I'm a big believer that God put the right people in the right places at the right time for this journey. And I'm so thankful for that. Now, when it comes to, you know, as my business moves forward, I think that it helps me put myself in other people's shoes a little bit better. It gives me a very unique perspective than many other providers could maybe have because of having my own diagnosis. And I also think that these patients have already told me before, it's so nice to just talk to somebody who just gets it. Mm. And I do, and I'm tell them I, my journey is not the same as yours. My journey is not the same as Monica's or Dr. Hala Harvey's there are shared pieces of that journey and how we can empathize with each other on a different level because we've all been there. And I think that there are also situations as much as our loved ones and those people right beside us for this journey that aren't cancer survivors want to try to understand. They want to try to be in your shoes as much as possible to help you through it. They just can't. And I don't ever want them to be. And I always tell my husband, like, you're going through this just as much as I am, but just in a different way. Yeah. And so when it comes to my clients and patients that are going through this journey, I can empathize with them on a different level than I ever could before. So I always tell people I would have never wanted to experience this way, but moving forward, I want to use what I've learned to be able to inspire and empower others to keep going forward. And people that may have a story that sounds like mine. And because I think it could be really easy just to give up and stop focusing on controlling the controllables, but to empower them just to keep going and grab the reins as much as possible.
0: Yeah. You touched on a thing I wanted to ask you about, as far as learning, what have you learned from all of this and the hurdles that you've had to overcome? Because I truly believe that the things we go through in life and how ugly they are and how hard they are learning from it is a choice that we all can make. You can choose not to, and just look at it as this awful thing, but what have you learned through this? Oh, I don't think we have enough time for me to teach you how much I've
2: learned. (laughs) Um, and that I'm still learning. And these are things that I'm grateful for what I'm learning. And I'll, you know, I'll say it again, of course, I wouldn't want to go through cancer to learn these lessons. However, I'm very thankful that I have learned these lessons and am learning more. And I think back to it would something less life-threatening or less dangerous? Would it have been enough to teach me these lessons? I don't know. I think one of the first and foremost things is boundaries. I think that cancer has really taught me that before cancer, I had no boundaries. And if I did, I didn't respect them. And that was hurting me mentally and emotionally. And when I mentioned earlier before that when I was at that conference, there were some eye-opening things. One of the eye-opening things was boundaries and my stress levels. And I wasn't really good at handling my stress levels. Um, A lot of my stress is self-inflicted and I've learned better tactics to learn how to control that and to manage stress better. And one of those things is with boundaries and respecting my own boundaries and figuring out where my energy emotionally and physically should be directed to. There are many things, I am not necessarily saying wasting my energy was the right word, but I was putting energy where I wasn't getting energy back. Mm. That makes sense. And so I think that's one of the learnings that has really come to the forefront. I also used to always say as a provider in the oncology space that when I would go to the cancer center and work a regular day and I thought I was having a bad day, I'd go down and I'd meet one of my patients Mm. who were probably really having a bad day. It really put perspective back into my life. And that was one thing I've always been grateful for as an oncology professional, but now it really puts a lot more things into perspective and just not fretting about the small stuff anymore and really focusing on the small things in everyday life that I probably took for granted before. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people like those things, protect them with everything you have, because that, hug from your kid or the ability to pick them up and change their diaper, which is something that I couldn't do for my youngest child for 14 or for about 15 weeks. I couldn't just put her in her car seat. I couldn't put her in her, um, her high chair. So those things that when you take them for granted, you would do anything to get them back. And I think that really put a lot of things into perspective for me when it comes to the lessons that I've learned through cancer.
1: Are you still following the plant-based diet? that you recommend so much.
2: Yes, I am. Absolutely. Have you 100%. changed anything
1: to your diet at all?
2: I would say the things that I may have changed is just put more emphasis on some of the things that I was doing before, such as the cruciferous vegetables, dark leafy greens, and then making sure that, you know, I'm really empowering myself with whole plant-based foods as much as possible. And that's not always possible, but doing the best I can. Cause honestly, it's, I believe based on the research that it's the best thing for my body, but also I notice such a huge difference mentally and emotionally as well, because I really believe that when you feel well, you do well. Right. And when I've had side effects from treatment or when I've been fatigued or any of those types of things, diet is kind of what I lean on because it makes me feel good. And I've reminded myself that, okay, if I wasn't doing these things, maybe I'd be feeling a lot worse. And that kind of empowers me to keep moving forward and making good decisions. But I've been there before and still struggle with it sometimes where it's, man, I have no energy to cook. That's the last thing that I want to do. How do I do that then? Right. What are strategies that I can use that I've teach hundreds and not thousands of people to do themselves. So kind of that understanding of like, I know what that cancer fatigue feels like. I know that desire to eat, but you just stare at the fridge and the pantry and you're like wow nothing sounds good or tastes good so what am i going to do with this and continuing to move forward to know that nutrition is what helps me feel well mentally and emotionally so that's how i keep powering forward and honestly when i was diagnosed that we had um actually when i was going through the mammogram biopsy there was a break in between the mammogram and the biopsy and so we went to this local place that had a salad bar and everything and you know just loaded my plate with all the cancer fighting foods i knew that those foods were not going to change the outcome of my biopsy. I knew that of course, but it had everything to do with what I could control at that Mm. moment. Right. And that's what diet does for me. That's what nutrition does for me and exercise, right? My, my feelings of exercise have drastically changed over the years. I was, you know, a college athlete that a very competitive that now exercise isn't so much exercise, it's it's a mental break for me. Mm. It's time for myself. Yeah. And so it's about control and it's about what's best for me so that I can go out and be the best mom, the best dietitian, the best sister, the best friend, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot more to it than than just nutrition. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: when you are told you have cancer, you lose control. So to have some control on all these things, so you're 100% correct, you can control what you eat, you can control exercising, you can control your attitude and just how well you reflected back on your own journey has been, I mean, you said it so beautifully and uh, there's so many learning lessons for viewers and for us in in your journey. Mm -hmm. And you know, cancer can happen to any of us, right? Breast cancer happens one in eight cancer, any kind of cancer can happen in one in three of us, male, female. So it's very prevalent, especially in America, where we are constantly have this fast food and genetics and environment. And there's so many factors that, you know, can result in developing cancer. Uh, but to be able to control what you can put in your body, I think it's that, a huge, that's super powerful. That's, that's huge. Super powerful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in preparation, Allison, I went to your website yesterday just to kind of see what's new with wholesome. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's new on there? I saw a quiz on there. I saw yeah. that you're doing something regarding like cancer myth. Are you yeah. busting these myths for people?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people have asked me if I've been working in the last year and I took a fair amount of time off, especially around my D flap surgery and so forth, but I've actually been working a little bit behind the scenes, um, when I've felt good, which has been a really grateful thing for me that to take the time to work when I feel good and take the rest when I need to rest. And some of those things that I've been working on is, um, a brand new quiz. And that quiz is, um, design it's called what's your cancer nutrition IQ. And the reason why I wanted to develop the quiz is because I really think knowledge is just so powerful. And if we can start with knowledge, that knowledge is kind of that big, huge basis for empowerment. I always tell people as a dietitian, I don't need to tell you that broccoli is good for you, right? I do not need to tell you that. But if I can teach you that broccoli contains something called sulforaphane and glucosinolates, that some of the best anti-cancer properties there are, and if I can tell you how to incorporate it into your diet in a delicious, easy way, how much more inclined are you going to be able to do that, right? To be like, oh, okay. I need, I want to put a little extra time to get this into my diet because of the great benefits it has. When I developed the IQ quiz, it was really this idea of, okay, I want to bring some more awareness around some of the cancer nutrition information there is out there and also help people to understand where their knowledge lies so that it can help them direct in what direction maybe they want to move in in their own cancer journey. So I think it's kind of fun. I'm a nutrition nerd. So like I would be all about a nutrition quiz for myself. We can go on to my website, it's wholesomellc.com and right at the top it says, um, what's your cancer nutrition IQ, take the quiz. Um, I believe it's uh, like 11 questions. And I try to um, ask some tricky ones, but not too tricky ones. But then after you take the quiz, Depending on what you score, I point you in more direction of resources that can continue your learning and your empowerment. The other thing that I do have on there is I also have a free masterclass that I call it cut through the noise, which is really talking about all that information that surrounds us in the internet about cancer nutrition and some of these common myths. Um, I'll tell you the myths that I go through. Um, One is the sugar feeds cancer myth. Also, we talk about alkaline diet and then also like what's the best diet for a cancer patient because I think oftentimes it's thought to be as like one particular diet is best for everybody and that might surprise you as somebody who's a plant-based dietitian that I don't necessarily say that vegan or vegetarian is something that you have to do right but what does the research say Um, I'm very focused on what research says what do we have the information for And so you can go ahead and go through the masterclass and learn a little bit more to empower your journey forward. And if people are interested in working with me moving forward in that, I'd be honored to do that. Um, And I have some, a course and a couple different group programs that I've launched as well. Um, But I'm all about Empowering other people with knowledge, allowing them to help take control, no matter whether they work with me or not.
1: I'm just here to help guide them. That's wonderful. I have recommended you to so many of my patients because anytime anyone has any question on nutrition diet, I'm like, yeah, go listen to Allison. She has all the answers. So <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> the most common question I ask about or I get asked is about soy. And yes. so, listen to Allison; she has yep. the answer. You, so, yeah, I, yeah. when I was
0: listening to the podcast yeah. yesterday,
1: I'm like, "Yep, we talked about soy yeah. and empower yeah. yourself
0: with food." So,
2: yeah, yeah. actually, one thing I wanted—I remember that we talked about soy last time, and I think a lot of people on the breast cancer podcast would be interested in. There's a new research that came out, and it isn't specifically done on breast cancer patients, but it was done on diet and hot flashes and other vasomotor symptoms like. Um, night sweats, et cetera, which can be so impacting for many of us breast cancer survivors, depending on um, what type of medications we may or not be taking. And in the past, there wasn't a lot of research about what diet or nutrition could play a role in helping to reduce hot flashes. But this study came out and showed that there was a Huge decrease in hot flashes with the consumption of soy every day. Um, so I actually, so there was a study published by the North American Menopause Society in the journal Menopause that found a plant-based rich diet in soy reduces moderate to severe hot flashes by 84 percent. No way. I saw that from nearly five per day to fewer than one per day. During the 12-week study, nearly 60% of women became totally free of moderate to severe hot flashes and overall hot flashes, including mild ones decreased by 79%. That's amazing,
0: Allison. And as a reminder, or maybe as a review, let's talk about what type of soy we're talking about um, and what we're not talking about when it comes to soy.
2: Yes, we are talking about soy in its preferably most whole food form. So this particular study, they actually included a half a cup of soybeans every day. Um, and when I was looking even closer at the study, they had an Instapot, which is how they actually ate or cooked their soybeans every day and added them to soup or salad. We also would be talking about soy in the form of a lot of studies that look at soy or using soy milk. They're also using tofu, tempeh, those types of soy. Now, what we're not talking about is like soy supplements or Mm. isoflavone. So isoflavone is the type of phytonutrient that is specifically found in soy that has been shown to be helpful to reduce the risk of breast cancer and other hormonally positive cancers. So you wouldn't want to go out and buy like an isoflavone supplement and add it to things. Because those have been shown not to really have an improvement. It's when it comes from the whole product as much as possible. And that's where I always go back to nutrition too. It's so much about the whole food rather than isolating the individual components of it, because when we start to isolate some of the individual components, we might be putting ourselves at risk for certain things. So for example, when um, individuals with lung cancer were undergoing radiation therapy, but taking high doses of vitamin E, which is a known antioxidant, it actually increased their risk of progression. Something that we would assume that would be healthy for us because it's vitamin E. But when we isolate it and take it in large doses, we don't necessarily see the same thing. So we want to always try to aim for it to be in its most whole food form as much as possible. And there is, of course, some processing that happens to soy milk or tofu, but these are still relatively good sources of soy that are really versatile and can be really tasty. I was the person many years ago that was so hesitant about soy, mostly because I didn't know how to cook it. I didn't know what to do with it. And I joke with my clients about how I purchased a thing of soy, uh, or excuse me, I purchased some tofu and I kept it in the fridge and I looked at it and I looked at it. And then it finally expired so I could throw it away. <laughs> and it's because I was so hesitant about how to cook with it. Now, once we cooked with it, once I experimented with it, it, it's one of the most versatile things that we use in our home. My kids love it. And research shows that breast cancer survivors who eat the most amount of soy compared to the least amount of soy have a 25% risk reduction of breast cancer recurrence.
0: That's wow. That's phenomenal. We're all going to like go out <laughs> we'll and get buy some, some, some soy today. today. Yes. Amomis, <laughs> some of that stuff. This- yeah. This has yeah. been exceptionally helpful. Yes. I love, I know Dr. Hollow Harvey, you love hearing the studies as well. Yes. You said yes. you've heard of that one, the yes. one that she had mentioned. Yes, yes. Um, but this is this was very helpful because yeah. I think hot flashes can affect your quality of life, yes. your 100%. quality of sleep. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, I experienced so part of my journey too is I did go through fertility treatment to have my second child, and I had really bad hot flashes during that during that process so much that when I was told that it was time to start tamoxifen, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think I can stand these hot flashes for 10 years. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful to tell you that I don't experience hot flashes with, and I don't know if it's just my diet if it's just me, but I've experienced those horrible decreased quality of life, hot flashes. Um, and what I love about studies like this is that we're talking about nutrition, right? We're not talking about another drug. We're not talking about something crazy. We're talking about nutrition that may have a very power effect of improving your quality of life as a breast cancer survivor, or just a woman in pre or post menopause and so forth. So that's the, that's what I love about the power of food, the side effects of like whole foods. There's very little, if any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And your story is very inspiring. Your journey is just starting. What I see for you, you're going to do wonderful, great things in this world. You're already doing them anyway, but it's going to get better and better and better just because of the person you are and how many people you're helping. So.
0: Thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. And it's not always easy to talk about our diagnosis. I think sometimes, you know, but I appreciate you being willing to come on and do this follow-up to what's been going on the past year because it hasn't been easy, but I'm glad you're in a place to where you're able to talk about it. You're able to share aspects of it that were difficult, what you've learned from this, how you've handled anyone that may be skeptical of a plant-based diet. I appreciate you spending your time with us today. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm so grateful to be here. And I think, you know, something just kind of summarizes for other breast cancer patients or any other cancer patients that might be listening is like I mentioned to my husband, I said, you know, okay. Yes. Active treatment is done, but there's still going to be hard days moving forward. There's going to be good days and there's going to be hard days. And I said the same thing for him, you know, as the caregiver that's going through this and that's okay. Giving grace to ourselves in that mm. entire process of healing is super important. Whether you're, you know, four days out of your last treatment like me, or you're five, 10 years, right down the line. And I think we all need to give ourselves a little bit more grace When it comes to not only physically healing, but emotionally, um, healing and growing as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It takes time. And so I think that patience, that grace forgiveness, when we weren't that way with ourselves, you know, forgiving (laughs) ourselves for how we used to be hard on ourselves and kept going and didn't have boundaries. And that's, you know, it's like choosing to learn from it and moving forward. So,
1: yeah, absolutely such you, great Allison. advice. Thank you so yes. much, Allison. Yeah. yeah we thank you so much
2: your- for having me. Love your podcast. You guys have excellent topics that I love tuning into. So thank you for all the work that you do for the breast cancer community too. It's, it's incredible. And I just want to give you guys a big kudos for that too. Aww,
1: uh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Thank you.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. I think this was very helpful to hear Allison uh, firsthand and talk about her story. And, um, I just thought, no, no, if anyone, not you, you know, you're trying, but that's not how cancer works, right? It doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Anybody can get cancer, even if you're doing the right things. A lot of quote unquote healthy people get cancer. So Um, it was just nice that she was
1: open to sharing this aspect of her life. Yeah. I actually have patients who are runners, you know, know, ran marathons, triathlons, body, you know, weightlifters, doing the right, everything possibly right in their lives and have cancer diagnosis. And they don't understand why, but like you said, it doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't discriminate. If you're rich, poor, white, black, Mm -hmm. yellow, whatever your skin tone is and what your lifestyle has been. So, Mm -hmm. but your attitude is what determines your success. Once you get told you have cancer or any type of adversity and her story is so beautiful. And she has such a great perspective looking mm-hmm. back on her own journey. All right. Well, this has
0: been a great episode. We hope you have enjoyed it as well. Be sure to check out Allison on her website, wholesomellc.com as well as follow her on Instagram at wholesome LLC. So that's a wrap for today. All right. Sounds All right. Great. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.